All right. Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you are here once again. The question before us this morning is, what do you do when Jesus gets in your boat? And more than that, what do you do when Jesus gets in your boat and he won't leave you alone? That's the question. What do you do if you're Peter in that moment as Jesus starts off his ministry and he's calling his disciples? What do you do if Jesus walks up to your boat? One thing that we know for sure is that Peter's life was about to change, as yours might be as well. Once again, we're so glad that you're here, and we're just going to jump right into it this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4. We're just going to get right to it because you get two preachers for the price of one today. So we want to make sure we have enough time uh, as we need this morning. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. We started this series called Meet Jesus last week. We're diving into the gospel of Matthew. In fact, we're going to be in the gospels this entire year at Lutheran Church of Hope at all of our campuses under this annual theme of all eyes on Jesus. Let's say that together. All eyes on Jesus. It's all eyes on Jesus this year, and we're starting with the gospel of Matthew. And I can't think of a better uh, pastor, a better friend to help point us in that direction than my good friend, Pastor Michael Hurst from Elam. Let's welcome Pastor Hurst here this morning. Good hope welcome. I'm going to have I'm going to have Michael introduce himself here in, in just a second. You'll hear more uh, about uh, what he has to say later, but I just want to I just want to say um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Hurst's heart for this city, for his heart uh, for, for, for decades here in the city of Des Moines, his heart for the city, uh, for his church that he is, is, is leaving to come uh, hang out with us this morning. And then next week, I get to go to Elam and hang out with them. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, his heart for uh, his church, but most excited, I'm excited to have him here today because of his heart for Jesus. Michael loves God's word. He loves Jesus. And I will tell you this, whenever we get to hang out uh, and we get together about every week, drink way too much coffee uh, than we should, uh, and, and we laugh a lot, I, there's two things that stick out. Number one, I feel more connected to Jesus when I hang out with Michael, and that's a really good thing. And number two, I laugh more than any other time in my week when I get to hang out uh, with Pastor Hurst. So it's great to have him uh, here today. So instead of t- me telling a little bit more, I just want to have Michael introduce himself for those of you that haven't met him uh, yet and just give us a snapshot of Elam yes. as a whole. Um, you bet. Started Elam in October uh, 14, 2001. So it's a planet church. So I planted it from nothing. And uh, so we've been there 19 years. And before that, I was an ME pastor for 14 years. So as you could tell, uh, I'm old. I just look young. <laughs> and so, you know, I really love your pastor. Uh, he, he's, just, he's just incredible. I mean, third time's a charm. Now I'm just so wide open, you know, and uh, I'm just happy to be here. And at Elam, you know, we love the Lord. And uh, the Bible says that God is looking for true worshipers. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that spirit is all of us. Thanks, brother. Awesome. So we're, we're tagging in and out. It's like a WWF wrestling match with preachers this morning. So we're going to ultimate warrior. There he is. So. Stone cold Steve Austin. There he is. See, you had no idea what you were getting into when you came to church this morning. So we're, we're really glad you're here. You're going to hear more from Michael in a little bit, but I want to I set the stage for where we're going uh, this morning to kind of follow up on where we were at 
uh, last week. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, last week we kind of left off with baptism. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry, and so we're jumping right into it. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has now asked the Father, who who should, who should follow me? Who should my, uh, my apprentices, my students be? And so Jesus is getting ready to call his disciples, as you saw in the opening video. So Matthew chapter 4, if you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there. Awesome. Even if you're not, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. All right? So we're following along. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, who we saw in the video, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So let's take a step back for a moment. If you're Jesus, think about this for a moment. You've got three years to change the world. You've got three years to impact society, to impact culture. And so you would think that Jesus would go to the prominent people. But notice who Jesus doesn't go to. He doesn't necessarily go to the rich or the influential or the famous. He doesn't go to the synagogue to recruit uh, the religious elite to start his movement. He doesn't go to the synagogue to look for the religious. He goes, well, he goes to the sea to look for the riffraff, and he calls the fishermen. I mean, you can't think of a more ordinary person, a a, a blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth type of people than fishermen. There is nothing, there is nothing extraordinary about fishermen like Peter and James and John. But get this, Jesus is in the business of taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. Amen? Amen. And that includes all of us this morning, taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. But you got to understand, being a, being a fisherman in those days, it wasn't just a job, okay? Historically, what we know about fishermen is that oftentimes in order to make a living, right? Peter even said it, there's no fish this time of day. So you've got to build your life and your schedule around making an income. You've got to do whatever it takes, and sometimes that means sleeping in your boat, living in your boat for days or weeks at a time, being out on the sea. And so for a fisherman to allow somebody into their boat is like inviting them into your life. And so it's personal. Jesus wants to make it personal with you this morning. He wants faith to move from your head to your heart. Anybody ever heard that phrase, or maybe it's just me, anybody ever heard that phrase, somebody's getting up into your business, okay? You're getting a little too close. You're getting into my, into my bubble, into my comfort zone, right? You're up in my business. Jesus wants to get up in your business this morning, okay? I'm just gonna say it. He wants to make it personal, but it is clear from the story that Jesus, or excuse me, Peter's boat is not full of fish. He's not doing very well. Peter's boat is instead, it's full of pride, full of pride. Peter says, who says I need help? Who says I need a whole new life? Who says I want one? And it made me think, you know, every boat seems to have a a name. A lot of famous boats have a name on the side of them. Uh, You know, Gilligan had the the SS Minnow, right? Uh, Forrest Forrest Gump had his boat that was named Jenny, right? And then he goes into the shrimp and boat business. He's got Jenny 1, Jenny 2, Jenny 3, right? All these boats have names that say something about the captain of that ship. And I just want to present to you that maybe Peter's had written on the side of it was a boat of pride. Jesus, I'm good, and I don't need you getting up into my business. I don't need you messing up my way of life. I wonder what would your boat be called these days? 
Would it be like Peter? Would it be a boat of pride? And Jesus says, come follow me. And you're like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm good. I'll give you an hour of my week, but that's it. I'm going to keep you at an arm's distance the rest of the time. I'm good. And we would never say I'm a prideful person, but when we push Jesus away and we say, Jesus, you can have this part of my life, but not this. I'm not going to give you access, not my finances, not my marriage. This is my private addiction that I have, Jesus. I'm not going to let you all the way into my boat. I'm not going to let you all the way into my life. I'm going to keep you at an arm's distance. I'm good for now. For some of you, it's the boat of pride. For some of you, your boat this morning is not a fishing boat. It's a speedboat, right? You ever been to the lake and you see one of those, and you're bouncing all over the place and there's somebody hanging behind? For some of you, that's you. You're in the speedboat. Jesus says to you this morning, come follow me. And you're like, sorry, Jesus, maybe a better time. I'm a little busy right now in this season of life. I don't have, I don't have time for you. I gotta get the kids to all their stuff. I'm in a really busy season. Maybe Jesus, when things slow down, But did you notice that in order for the disciples to follow Jesus, they had to get up and go now. Today is the day, Jesus says. Jesus didn't say sit around and get all your ducks in a row and get all your theology perfect and read the entire Bible and get your life cleaned up and then you can follow me. Wait till things slow down. Jesus looks at you this morning and says, are you coming? Come follow me. For some of you, it's the boat of pride. For some of you, it's the boat of speed. For others, it's the boat of apathy. You're saying, maybe, Jesus, there was a time when I was really excited about you, but now I just kind of come, I, I come to worship, and I go through the motions. There was a time where I had that, that, that flame of a faith living inside of me, but now it's more down to a pilot light. Well, Jesus wants to come with a giant blowtorch this morning and light the fire of your heart again and set you on fire to stop just coming and consuming religion and start living every single day with him. Regardless of where you find yourself, the circumstances, your boat this morning of your life, Jesus looks at you and he says, follow me. He says, follow me. One of the things I love about Jesus, I love about that clip in particular, Jesus has those eyes that can see right through you. And he sees you as you are this morning past all the walls that we put up, past all of your weaknesses and insufficiencies and past all the the obstacles and all the defenses that we put up. And he says, come follow me, just as you are. Come follow me. And when Jesus did that, what we've got to understand is that Jesus is offering the disciples and all of us two key things this morning. Jesus says, come follow me. That's an invitation of relationship. And then Jesus says, and I will teach you to fish for people. That is an invitation to mission. So relationship and mission, relationship and purpose, a purpose bigger than themselves. Peter, you think that God created you just to fish for the rest of your life. I'm about to open your eyes to the reason that you were created, to point people to me, to the everlasting life. I've got a bigger mission for you, Peter. And I will say this, in 11 years of being your pastor and having coffees and lunches and praying with you and meeting with you and talking with you and listening, there are two things, two longings, two desires that rise to the surface more than anything else. Number one, I just want to be known. And that's relationship. I just, man, I have never met anybody that doesn't want to be listened to, that doesn't want to be understood. That's relationship. And the second thing, the second big theme that comes to the surface again and again is I want to make an impact in this life. I want a mission. I want a purpose that's worth living for. And what does Jesus offer us right here in Matthew 4? Relationship and purpose. 
Regardless of who you are today, what your job is, where you're from, what your past is, relationship and purpose. And we got a a front row seat of that. This isn't a hypothetical thing. We got a front row seat of that last week. So we do this once a year, and it's always kind of a nerve-wracking experience being a a pastor, a preacher up here, and you make this call that anybody that wants to come up and be baptized can come on up. And we did this at all of our campuses last week. And you know, you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, I think I heard God right, and inviting people up. And then there's, you know, one or two brave souls come up, and then everybody starts to come after that, and then the floodgates just open. And when we were done last weekend, 73 people were baptized last weekend. Here at Hope Des Moines. How cool is that? 26 of you for the very first time. Men, women, children. It always shocks me how many people are sitting out here and you've never experienced that gift of God's grace. And we're so glad that we could offer that. And if you want to, we will baptize you anywhere, anytime. If we have to get an ice auger out to baptize you, we will, we will go to the river, whatever it takes, and we will baptize you. I don't know where that came from. That was weird. Whole families came up. We had one gentleman come up. (laughs) Last weekend, we talked about identity and knowing who you are. Had a gentleman come up to be baptized, and he just said, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am, and I want to know who I am. Apart from what I do, apart from my mistakes, I don't know who I am. And so Chris and I got to be able to share with him the good news that he is a child of God, that he is a beloved son of God, that God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And I will tell you this, equally as excited as I was about 73 people getting baptized in one weekend, what I was equally excited about is how many of you stuck around and cheered. And it was like, it was like a a college football game. It was like an NFL game in here. I mean, people were getting excited. And I know that you have this excitement and this energy level in you because I've seen some of you come in on on a Sunday morning after a big Iowa State or Iowa win or something like that. You come in, Pastor John, did you see the Hawkeye game? He's like, wow, it was awesome. Or you were there, or you went to a game, or you watched it on TV, and you're so excited. And then sometimes we come in, and we worship the living God, and we're like, you know, we don't want to raise our hands. You know, no touchdown for sure, just right here, safe. We're Lutheran, so our hands can't go past our shoulders, you know. And now we don't want to get too excited. But I was so proud of you last week. Because what a church celebrates communicates something about the heart of that church. And there are people up here that you had never met before. And yet you were out there cheering and clapping and saying, yes, praise God, because that right there is what we're about as a church. Amen? That's why we exist as a church, for people to experience the new life of Jesus Christ. But here's the biggest mistake that we could make, and this is where we're going today, to think that baptism is the end rather than the beginning. We are just getting started, because when you know who you are, when you know who you are, you know what you've been called to do. Jesus says, you are my followers, you are my children, and I want you to follow me every single day. And so Michael's going to come on up, and he's going to teach a little bit about what does it look like to actually live that out? What does it look like to follow Jesus as we move from the darkness into the light? What does it look like to follow Jesus every single day? So would you give another warm Hope Des Moines welcome to Pastor Michael Hurst? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pastor, um, another two times, I, I want to go a little different way today. Uh, when you talk about follow, follow me, you need faith to follow God. And when he says follow me, you know it's not a democracy. You know you don't have a vote. 
He said, choose this day whom you gonna serve. You know, you either hot or you cold. You, you, you can't be in the middle. You, you need faith and you need faith that you can't see. You need faith instead of sight. Let's, let me go here in the Bible really quick because I'm coming through the back door today. Um, Second uh, Corinthians 5 and 7 says, for we walk by faith. Come on, Bible readers, and not by. Uh, I'm looking for the Bible readers now. Hebrews 11 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, you got to reach through the darkness and the deadness of the unknown and unseen and grab over to that which was promised. You, you can't see the faith, but you got to have it. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But those who know who he is, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You, you, you got to have that faith. And Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Habakkuk 2.4 says, and the just shall live by Faith, ah, faith of a grain of a mustard seed can move a mountain. It's, it's something about faith when you follow, follow Jesus. Some of us don't follow Jesus because once you declare you have faith, then you know you're in a fight. Oh, y'all missed it. It's called spiritual warfare. You need faith for the fight, and then you need the Father to provide the might for the fight. It must be over here. <laughs> the fight is those who are in darkness. When you are in darkness, you have to be developed. But God develops you in the dark. And once he develops you in the dark, you need the light to provide the direction that you need once you come out of the dark. Now, probably not you, but my members, you know, they stay out late sometimes. <laughs> and if you ever stayed out late and you in the dark, and then when you come out in the daylight, you know, you, you, you sort of can't see because you were in darkness, but you were being developed and you need direction. And you need direction because sometimes in the dark, you do some desperate stuff. No desperate, okay. You guys are good Lutherans, I tell you. You guys looking like, hey, am I in the right, am I in the right church? Yeah, this the same crowd. You know, you do stuff in the dark and you need direction. And when you need direction, you're really looking for deliverance. And deliverance comes from the light. Just like Dr. King tried to lead everybody to the light. Watch Dr. King. I don't want my kids to be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. He wanted everybody to worship together in the light, in the faith. And just like Dr. King is about the light, Matthew 5, 16 says, in that same way, in that same love, in that same light, in that same instruction of the lesson, let your good deeds, let your light so shine for? For? Y'all not like the 915. Come on, for? That's 
better to see so that everyone. I will praise your heavenly father. You need that light. When you are in darkness and that light hits you, you can't help but break out in a praise. Yeah, you can't help it because you feel so free because you have experienced the light. Dr. King was in jail and he was hearing about all the injustice that was being done because the country was racially divided. And Dr. King wrote from the Birmingham jail, he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So he wanted justice. And so much so, if you look back at Amos, he said, hate evil and love good and establish justice within thy gates. Uh, right around verse 15, if you fact check him. Uh, man, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> Amos 5.24, I see it. Oh, she's good. We down. <laughs> see, y'all miss it. We sort of struggled at 9.15. She was so in the sermon, she wouldn't put the slides up, but she's heard it now, so she's ready. Instead, I want you to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living through faith of feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and comforting those who mourn and visiting people in prison. I want justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Because the justice that Dr. King was talking about, it produced life. Ah, I like this, John 1, 4. Pow, you're good. The word. Now, I got really excited. How much time I got? Because oh, I got a few more minutes. Yeah, I, uh, I got a little bit excited at 9.15 about the word. The word. In NLT, it says the word, but in the NIV, it says in him. But then when I looked at it, he is the word. Uh, come on. The word was God, and the word was with God, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men. But then if you go to the NLT, it says the word gave life to who? Everything. Oh, y'all got to do better. Who? Everything. That was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Oh, you got to look like me. Oh, uh, you got to go to the same school. You got to be a Spartan. I'm a Spartan. You, you know, you got to live in my neighborhood. You got to drive the same kind of car. And if you don't, then you know you don't deserve the light. Then if you don't, you don't deserve the life. Even though the first thing we learned in, in church, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the first commandment, and the second is like unto it. Love your as your Ah, there it is. That life, that word, ah, we're connected. He says, I am the vine, you are the branch. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you shall bear much fruit. But without me, you can't do. Uh, but this the Bible, this the, man, they know they were. That's good. It's this life we're talking about. It's this lesson. God has called us to a mighty work. He's called us to be an effervescent light. The Greek word for light is radiance. It shines, restoration, renewal, rejuvenation, revival. 
to go into a dark place and shine that light of God because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 9, 5, if you're checking me out. Jesus is the light. And the light is shining on us. And that's what Martin Luther King stood for. The 915 crowd, a lady came up and she gave me a very erudite point and I'll sit down after this. She said, did you know Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther? I was like, wow, I did know that. So you see that there... <laughs> I went to the same seminary and y'all didn't know I was Lutheran, did you? That's why I've been drinking all the coffee. That's why I keep going to the bathroom. <laughs> but look at the connection. In the eyesight of God, we are all brothers and sisters. Now, I'm going to really mess somebody's theology up, and then I can really go home. If you go to Acts 17, I want you to read the whole chapter because I don't want to do your homework for you. It says that we are all from one blood. Oh, come on. Oh, I know that's messing some of y'all up. Y'all don't, don't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear it. Oh, y'all missed it. It was a time in my life I didn't want to hear that. But when Jesus came to my life, I knew my life was not my own. My attitude was not my own. No, I had to acquiesce to what I wanted and grab hold to what Jesus wanted. And what Jesus wants is there's Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. But we are all. Oh, y'all can say it a little louder. Oh, come on, be one with me. Say it a little. Come on, come on, come. You my dude, but you like posted up all the girlies like you, don't they? Cause you like, you be like your brother be like post. But we are all. Oh, I got him in Christ Jesus. God bless you. Yes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you guys didn't know we were into a big Bible study today, did you? No, we just got a jet tour there. So that's right. The, the wheels are coming off the wagon at 11, right? There you never know. So, so as we move from darkness to light, as we move from inequality to equality, as we move from hatred to love, I mean, this is a radical message. And this was the message of Dr. King. And I think if you dig a little bit deeper, what Pastor Hurst is talking about is this is Jesus' message. It, it comes because Dr. King loved the word. And if there, was a, if there was a time for the church to rise up and be who we've been called to be, it's now. We live in a nation, we live in a culture that is more divided than ever. And it's time, there, there is a sense of urgency. When Jesus comes to us and says, follow me, it's not, I'll get around to it at some point. Today is the day we're called to rise up and be who God has called us to be. One of the reasons I love Dr. King is that he, not that he was perfect because he wasn't, but I love that he is, his message flowed directly from his passion for God's word and his heart for people, okay? Dr. King was passionate about civil rights and justice and equality because that's God's heart. We don't worship diversity. We don't worship civil rights. We don't worship justice. We worship God and we follow him. And that's why we do it, okay? We follow him, okay? 
so we follow Jesus. And this, this theme is all over God's word. And we've done messages here before where I've taken you through just a snapshot of God's heart for, for reconciliation and for harmony across cultures and races and, and colors and all sorts of divides. But I just want to highlight one for us today, okay? It's all over God's word. I want to zero in on Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. Let's read this together. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. All of us. Everybody say all. 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 Now, there's some words up there that we don't use a lot, and you're like, barbaric, uncivilized? How about, how about Republican? How about Democrat? How about any, anywhere in between, left wing, right wing? We got the whole bird here at Hope, and that's a good thing, okay? Because Jesus doesn't fit into our human-made political parties. Wow. There's no biases that God has. Peter is later going to discover in the book of Acts that God shows no favoritism. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, back in biblical times, to, to help you understand what Paul is, this is a radical statement. Jews and Gentiles were on opposite sides of the aisle. They didn't like each other, Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus steps right into the middle of this. He doesn't pick a fight for the sake of picking a fight. Jesus messed with people. Jesus burst people's bubbles. He flipped the social norms of the day upside down. Jesus wasn't primarily killed because he was nice. Jesus was killed because he pushed people's buttons, because he hung out with people that he shouldn't, because he associated with people and built bridges between people that had been divided for years. The world is really, really good at building up divides. Jesus is really good at tearing them down and building bridges. And that's who Jesus has called us to be, is a bridge-building church. One of the ways that we live out our identity is not just individuals, but as the church as Michael was saying, if we're one church, if we're one body, we, we're called to look like it, and we're called to live into that and build bridges where other people have built divides. And that's why, if you remember, those of you that are back, back uh, here in November, when Pastor Mike kind of uh, went over our 10 for 10 vision, this new vision that God's given us as a church, we laid out 10 for 10, 10 big ideas for the next 10 years, for the next decade. And one of those key themes that has really gripped us here at Hope Des Moines is this one, unity agents, unity agents. And this isn't just something that we came up with. All of these things are right out of God's word. This is who we believe that we're called to be. And some of you are like, why are we talking about these things in the church? Because these are God things. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is right out of his words. So I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but what would it look like to be a bridge-building church? Not just to talk about these things, but to actually do them, to build bridges of harmony for cultures divided by race, ethnicity, creed, gender, sexual orientation, politics, and worldview. To rise, rise above the divisive issues of our day, to, to avoid the ditches of legalism and relativism fighting for a third way. And then get this, the acknowledgement that the Christ who unites us is greater than the issues that could divide us. Amen? That's who we're called to be as a church. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like Dr. King. And way more importantly than that, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Now, I, want, I, want, I don't want you to miss this. We don't build bridges so that we can all agree. Okay? Build bridges of what? Harmony. Paul talks about this a lot. Do you want to know the cool thing about harmony? What makes harmony beautiful, what makes harmonies work, is it's different. When you were listening to, 
to, to the band up here sing. And Emma and Sally and Jed were singing. They weren't all singing the same things. I don't know if you knew that. They were singing harmonies. They were singing different things. And when you put differences together and we celebrate the diversity and the differences that we have, it makes beautiful music. And that's God's heart for humanity. We don't build bridges so that we would all agree on everything. We don't build bridges so that we would be all the same. We don't build bridges so that somehow I have to give up my convictions and just cave to what everybody else wants. We build bridges so that we can meet in the middle and realize that the Jesus who unites us is stronger than the divisive issues that can divide us. We meet in the middle and we build bridges so that people can experience the love of Jesus Christ. We don't worship diversity. We don't worship racial reconciliation. We do these things because those things sometimes can be the things that stand in the way of people getting connected with God's love. That's why we build bridges. And our culture has sold us this lie that if I disagree with you on something, if we have a disagree, if we see the world differently, or if we are different, then somehow I have to avoid you or hate you. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. There's a reason that over and over and over again in the New Testament, Paul and the other writers, the epistles are saying, learn to love each other. Church is a family that you belong to. It's not a service that you consume. It's a family where we learn to love each other. We build this harmony together. And we know that we can't do that alone. We can't build bridges alone. And it takes time. And so as we move into this new neighborhood, which is not really that far away, some of you are freaking out. We're going to this new part of town. Google it. It's 1.4 miles away, people, okay? <laughs> Stop freaking out, okay? It's right there. But, but if we're going to be a different kind of a church, if we're going to be a church that builds bridges instead of tears them down in our culture, then we got to listen. And so when we go into this new neighborhood, we're not going to go in and say, we're Lutheran Church of Hope. We've got all the answers because we don't. We've got so much to learn and we're going to listen and we're going to talk with people and we're going to build bridges and we're committed to listening and learning from others. And one of those churches that has been building bridges for the last two decades and doing exactly what we're talking about here is Pastor Hurst and Elam Christian Fellowship. And I am so thankful for the work that they have done and the things that I have learned from Pastor Hurst as we've listened and talked over the last decade. And so I want to have Michael come back up really quick and just walk us through what does it look like to be a bridge-building church? How do we do that in practical ways? Wow. Watch this. When I first started Elam, you know, you have to come up with a vision and a mission statement. Come on. All right. So I came up with my mission statement. Elam Christian Fellowship is a multicultural, Bible-based, spirit-filled, spirit-led. Okay. Proud of it. I get in my first council meeting and, you know, the, Pastor, why do you have the word multicultural in there? We're all black. like a fair question I said because that's what I'm striving for I want to become multicultural and the only way you become multicultural is you be uh, intentional about being multicultural uh, walk in Elam now when we at the meeting they don't say that white people come brown people come and black people come the body of uh oh the body of Christ comes because it's our purpose and our plan. Couple of minutes. Now, I don't want y'all to laugh at me like the last two services. I said I'm going to take two minutes. They started laughing like, uh, 
and I've been less than two. Uh, it, you know, it must be that old stereotype that we're going to get out at 2 o'clock. <laughs> no, we're not. My wife is not here, and I want to get home and meet her real quick. Watch our purpose and our plan. Purpose and our plan, Acts 1A. Y you guys seem like the cerebral aerial dyke crew. Do you see the assignment in there? Look at that. But you shall receive fire when the Holy Spirit comes up on you. And you will be my... That's the assignment. The assignment is that we go be a witness. That's the assignment. Now, God never gives you assignment that he doesn't give you all the tools you need to consummate the assignment. Watch what he gives you to take with you to be an effective witness. He gives you power and the Holy Spirit. Once you have power and the Holy Spirit, you can complete the assignment. Why? Because the Holy Spirit provides the anointing. Isaiah 10, 27 says it's the anointing that destroys all yokes, all barriers, all darkness. So once you have the anointing, then the power of God comes on you because the anointing and the Holy Spirit go together like apple pie and ice cream. Sort of. Sort of like hot dogs and mustard. They, they, they go together. You know, you can't. Now, collard greens and cornbread. <laughs> oh, wrong house, wrong house. Huh? <laughs> Who feeling the collard greens with me today? Hey, see, I told you, we all brothers and sisters. Some of y'all eating collard greens on the down low and cornbread and not sharing it with your. <laughs> it's there. Watch it. Where do we go? Jerusalem. Home. Your house. Where do you go? Judea. Your neighborhood. Where do you go? Samaria. 25th and University. Samaria, where people may not look like you. They may not act like you. They may not went to the same school you went to, drive the same car you drive. Ah, Submaria, you got to go there. But when you have Holy Spirit and power, you have the light to complete the assignment because you're about to produce life because people are in darkness and they need deliverance. Are you with me? Amen. There you go. Tap out. There you go. So, yeah, praise God. It is always humbling to know that whatever we are doing, whatever mission God's called, called you to, there's probably somebody that has been doing it a lot longer than you. And sometimes I think, man, we've learned a lot in 11 years as an urban church. And we learn a lot because we listen to others. I was going to say we listen to our elders, but I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to say that. Okay. 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 All right. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> see, Michael just turned 30, so that's, we'll just leave it at that, okay? Here's the thing. There comes a point when we got to stop talking about these things and do something about it. And we've been talking about this, and this isn't new. Hope and Elam have been partners for years, for decades. And we've been talking about this and praying about this, and when this opportunity came up for us on university, and there's more space there than for one Lutheran church. There's space there for the body of Christ to be one church. And so we've been praying about this and, and talking about this, all these things, various options from, 
from sharing space as, as churches to joining certain ministries together and figuring out how we can be more effective, okay? We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we know this. We are on the same team. And as we say around Hope a lot, we are better together. Can we say that? We're better together. We are on the same team. And one thing has become very clear. As we've talked, as our leaders have met the last couple uh, months, kind of behind the scenes, our staff and our key leaders, both from Elam and Hope, have been getting together and sharing. When I've talked to Pastor Hurst, I asked him, what's the heartbeat of Elam? It's what he shared earlier passionate about the left behind, the left out, and the left over. I'm passionate for people that we want to be a church for people that don't like church, for people that have been burned out, left behind, people that have bad experience with the church. I'm like, us too, us too. And then I asked him kind of, you know, where, where's Elam going? What are you passionate about? And over and over again, I can tell from Pastor Hurst's heart, he says, it's the next generation. We've got to focus in the next five to 10 years on pouring into our kids and our students and our youth and our young adults. That's the focus of who we are. And I said, that's us. That's us. And then he just says over and over, Elam's about Jesus. Elam's about Jesus, unashamedly about Jesus. And I said, us too. And so as we've talked, it's like, wow, we have a lot more in common. We have a lot more in common than we have that divides us. And so over the next couple months, we're going to continue to meet together. We're going to gather both of our churches together in the next couple months. We're going to get together. We're going to eat. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to serve. We're going to talk. We're going to be family together. And one thing I do know is this, building bridges takes time. That bridge wasn't built overnight. Families don't come together. We don't reconcile with each other and, and learn how to be family together overnight. It takes time. And I know this, I have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. And if you think that we're walking in here today with some perfectly prepackaged agenda and program of how we're going to do this, I had no idea what he was going to talk about today, and he had no idea what I was going to talk about. We, we have no plan. The plan is to do Acts 1-8, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then to be together. All the believers were together. We know that we need to come together because we're better together. But we, sometimes you maybe come in here and think, oh, who's ever up on that stage preaching has all the answers and they have it all together. We are learning as we go. When Jesus called the disciples, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And yet Jesus says, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to love. I'm going to teach you how to serve. I'm going to teach you how to break down walls and barriers and talk to people and be with people that you've never been with before. We're going to learn how to do this together, humbly and with open hearts and open arms and open ears. God is calling us into the unknown. Maybe, I know it is for me, the boat that some of us need to get out of when Jesus comes knocking is the boat called your comfort zone. Jesus. Your comfort zone. Because it's not easy. When God called Dr. King to speak for justice and fight for love and truth, it wasn't easy. And here's the thing. As a church, as an individual, you know you're on mission when it gets messy. Some of you want to live a version of church and Christianity that's safe and comfortable and predictable. And I hate to break it to you, that's not what Jesus is calling us to be. I don't see that anywhere in the Gospels. Jesus says, come follow me. And following Jesus doesn't make your life easier. Following Jesus makes your life worth living. And having a purpose to live for. We're following him and we're going to learn how to do this along the way. And somebody that taught me about how hard this can be and the challenges of ministry is this guy right over here. 
When I started, it was the first week that I started at Hope, and all these people were telling me, well, you know, we're Hope's planning a church in the city. You got to, get a, you got to meet Pastor Hurst. You got to get together with Elam. And I'm like, who is this guy? Everybody's telling me I need to meet with him. So we, we get coffee. We're out in the bridge at the West Des Moines campus because we didn't have a building at the time. We were worshiping uh, at Hubble Elementary School, and I thought, you know, like, I'm 25, and when you're 25, you pretty much know it all. You have all the answers, right? And I thought I did, right? We've, we've, we've got maroon padded chairs and an elementary school gym. What else do we need to reach the city, right? And I thought I had all the answers, and I'm like, okay, I'll meet with, I'll meet with this pastor, and, you know, I'll kind of do my due diligence. I'm like, okay, we're going to have this nice, warm, cozy conversation. And we sit, and we sit out, I remember this like it was yesterday. We sit out, we start talking, and he's like, share a little bit about you, John. And I'm, I'm talking, I'm like, well, here's, here's what I know about diversity. This guy's been doing urban ministry for 25 years, and I come, well, I grew up in Story City, so my, my diversity is that we've got German Lutherans and Norwegian Lutherans and Swedish Lutherans, okay? That's our diversity. He's just smiling and shaking his head. He listens to me a little bit, and he looks at me, and he goes, John, sorry, John, You got to get some blood on you. Like, what? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? John, you got to get some blood on you. What is he talking about? Like, I, I don't understand this. It's like he's speaking a different language or something. He shares a little bit more. Seven minutes into our meeting, he gets up and says, I'll see you next week. I got to go. And he's out. Like, what just happened? Who is this guy, right? Like, I remember being sorely offended in that moment. And maybe it's taken me 11 years to realize this, if I could just pass anything on to you today. Sometimes we get offended by things we don't understand. Sometimes we hate things we don't understand. But the way that you learn to understand each other is you take the time to listen and you humble yourself and you say, maybe the reason this is uncomfortable or is awkward because it's different and that's okay. I was offended because I didn't understand and now I can say thank you 11 years later because that's exactly what I needed to hear because ministry is messy and building bridges is messy and talking about things in the church like we're talking about today that normally churches don't talk about is hard and it's messy and you get wounded and sometimes you get blood on you. Sometimes you get blood on you. It's hard. But life is way too short to play it safe as the church. And God has not put Lutheran Church of Hope or Elam Christian Fellowship in the city to play it safe, to just put in our time. And I love, I love Dr. King's passion for a variety of reasons. I love his passion for the local church. And he says this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they deemed, were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was, get this, the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. What are we doing today? We are simply two churches in Hope and Elam standing up together in unity saying it's time to turn up the thermostat. We're not just going to be a thermometer that reflects the culture and says, well, we're more divided than ever. Well, if we disagree, we can't talk to each other. We can't be friends. We can't be family. We've got to have churches segregated. We've got to keep our distance from each other. 
We are called to turn up the thermometer, to turn up the thermostats and set the tone in the city of Des Moines and say, this is what the church should look like. We don't have all the answers, but Jesus does, and we're following him. It's time to build some bridges. It's time to love people that nobody else loves. It's time to serve those that we're supposed to hate. It's time to hang out with people as the church that everybody else avoids. It's time to get out of the boat, and it's time to follow Jesus. Amen? time to follow Jesus. And that's what I love about Dr. King. And that's what we that's what we're going to celebrate tomorrow. And that's the reason that I love going to the MLK, MLK prayer breakfast on that day, every single year with, with pastor Hurst and others is to remind ourselves <laughs> that love is stronger than hate. Yeah. And man, you guys, when we get out of the boat and we follow Jesus, I'm so excited about the next 10 years. I'm just so excited about where we're going to go. Is that out of my comfort zone? Is today out of my comfort zone? You better believe it. But man, this is where we're called to go. We're called to be faithful to who God has called us to be in the city of Des Moines. And so we're going to end with a short video of some of Dr. King's sermons and his messages to remind us that as we go on this journey, we are never, ever, ever alone. Let's take a look. It says that somehow... That burning, fiery furnace was transformed into an air-conditioned living room. Somebody looked in there and said, we put three in here, but now we see four. Don't ever think you're by yourself. Go on to jail if necessary, but you never go alone. Take a stand for that which is right. And the world may misunderstand you and criticize you, but you never go alone. For somewhere I read that one with God is a majority. And God has a way of transforming a minority into a majority. Walk with him this morning and believe in him and do what is right. And he'll be with you even. I felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul, but I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Where are you going this morning, my friends? Tell the world that you're going with you're going with justice. You're going with goodness. And you will have an eternal companionship. You're never alone. You're never, ever, ever alone. As we begin this journey, as we continue this journey together, wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever your boat looks like, whatever the circumstances of your life are this morning. Whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley, whether you're in that speedboat and I just want to make it stop, whether your, your heart is cold and apathetic, whether it's filled with pride and you say, I don't know if I want to go there. Jesus is calling us out of our comfort zone, calling us out of our boats and saying, you're never, ever alone. And so we don't want to just talk about it. 
we want to sing about it. Whether you're on the mountaintop, in the valley, God's worthy of our worship. Amen? Let's stand and let's sing. Let's worship together.